0: Amen. Welcome to week number three of Christmas at Bethesda. The most wonderful time of the year is the Christmas season. But as we've discovered in this series, um, this time of year is not also wonderful for a lot of people. It is a very difficult season um, because in the Christmas season, a lot of the negative emotions that we experience or feel throughout the year, they are magnified and sometimes intensified during the Christmas season but I want to say maybe the best Christmas gift you will receive this year will not come in the form of a box or a package or a gift card but it might just come through a spiritual moment with God in which he makes you free How many of you understand that he does not want you to carry negative emotions from 2022 into 2023? He wants to heal you, deliver you, set you free from all the negative things in your life so that we can enjoy his presence and the joy and the peace that Christ came to give us. In week one of the series, we looked at the topic of anger. And anger says, you owe me. You offended me, you hurt me, you sinned against me, so you owe me. In week two, we looked at jealousy. And jealousy uh, says, God owes me. We begin comparing our life with someone else's life, and we look at what God is doing in them, and then we, we look to God like, you owe me. You know uh, That's what jealousy says, because all these negative emotions demand payment. The antidote, though, for anger is forgiveness. That is the antidote. The antidote for jealousy is celebration. And what I love about this series is that it's all about the heart. In the physical, if you get a report from your doctor that your heart is bad, you're usually told at that moment, immediately you have to change your diet and you have to exercise. Now, for some, it wouldn't make sense for a person with a bad heart to exercise, but exercising uh, a bad heart is the very thing it needs to become healthy again. You've got to exercise it. And so to overcome these enemies of the heart, these negative emotions that come uh, into our life is that the heart must be exercised. It's not enough just to pray, God, get the anger out, God, get the jealousy out, but sometimes we've, we've got to offer forgiveness to get rid of the anger. Sometimes we've got to learn to celebrate what God is doing in another person to get rid of the jealousy in our heart, that it requires me to... To do something. Again, forgiveness is not about letting the person off the hook. Forgiveness lets you off the hook. It, it, it takes you off the hook. And jealousy, the ability to celebrate others and their success. Listen, um, if, if I dishonor what God is doing in you, I will never draw that into my life. If I dishonor it, it will never be attracted to me. But if I can honor what God is doing in your life, then what God is doing in your life can be attracted into my life. Because what I honor gets closer to me, but what I dishonor gets further away. And so it's a powerful thing to know that with anger I can forgive, with jealousy I can celebrate. But today we're going to talk about guilt. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that every person under the sound of my voice, has experienced guilt. This is something that we've all experienced. It's, guilt is nothing like jealousy. Nothing like jealousy. Jealousy is something that can hide in such a way that, that very few people ever confess to being jealous. But guilt, on the other hand, is something that we've all felt. In 20 plus years of, of being in the ministry, I have never had one person, not one, Come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm jealous. Not one time. It has never happened. Now, I'm, I'm cool with being surprised by that happening. But I've never had one person confess to jealousy. But I am not understating this at all. I have literally had hundreds come to me battling guilt. Not able to move past something that they got wrong. And sometimes it was a week ago, sometimes it was a month ago, but unfortunately for some people, it's something they did five years ago. And the guilt that they carry is still present. Now our foundational scripture, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The message translation says, keep vigilant watch over your heart, that's where life starts. Do you know that if you're having problems with your marriage, your boyfriend, a parent, a child, feeling sorry for yourself, that it all comes and stems and begins from the heart. We live life through the grid of our heart. If our heart is not right, our life is not right. But if we get the heart right, then things in our life start to make sense. They start to line up. This morning, my question for you How are things with your heart? I want to ask that again. How are things with your heart? Notice I did not ask, How are things in your career? I did not ask, How are things in your marriage? How are things at the business? How are things in your child rearing? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, How are things with your heart? Are there people you're trying to avoid? Is, is there something in your heart that is keeping you from loving, that is keeping you from trusting again? How are things with your heart? How much joy, peace, and happiness do you have right now? And you may ask, can I actually know the answer to that question? You can, by monitoring what you've been talking about. Because what we speak is a reflection of what's going on in the heart. What comes out of our mouth reveals what is in our heart. In Matthew's gospel, the 15th chapter, it tells this story of Jesus getting into a debate with Pharisees. And the issue that, that came up that day is that the disciples had eaten something without washing their hands. Now, go figure, had they been in the COVID world, right? This whole debate was about they ate without washing their hands. Here they are standing in the presence of a man who heals the sick, calms the sea, cleanses the leper, and they're in a tizzy over the fact he doesn't wash his hands before his meals. And after an exchange of words, Jesus says in Matthew 15, starting in verse 17, he said, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. His point is that God isn't nearly as concerned about what goes in our mouths as as he is about what comes out of our mouth. The things that come out of our heart, out of our mouth, they are the things that defile us. Anger says, you owe me. Jealousy says, God owes me. Guilt says, I owe you. Every negative emotion demands payment. But guilt, you feel that you are the one who owes somebody. Guilt is the result of having done done something we perceive as wrong. Every wrong we do can be restated as an act of theft. If I steal from you, I owe you. If I say negative things to you or about you, I I may feel the guilt, and therefore, I owe you. So the message from a heart laden with guilt is I owe. For example, this is just an example. Consider the man who runs off with another woman and abandons his family. Without realizing it, at the time, he has stolen something from every single member of that family. He stole his wife's first marriage. He robbed her of her future her financial security, her reputation as a wife. From his children's perspective, this man has stolen their father and all that a father brings to the home. He has robbed them of Christmas, family traditions, emotional and financial security, dinners with the family, and so on. And the man who does this, at first, he's not thinking in terms of what he has taken, but he is thinking in terms of what he has gained in his new life. But the first time his little girl asked him, why don't you love mommy anymore? His heart is now filled with guilt. Now, some of you would be like, rightfully so, right? His heart now is triggered, and he begins to think about the things he has done in a different perspective. He now feels guilty. Dad now feels that he owes. A debt-to-debtor relationship has been established, and whenever you or I wrong another person, we create the same dynamic. Therefore, we say things like, I owe you an apology. How many of you have have ever had to go to someone and say, I owe you an apology, right? Like, I hope you have. If you haven't, we're going to have deliverance ministry in just a minute to get you free. Because at some point, you have wronged another person, and you felt the guilt and the weight to where you had to start a conversation with, I owe you an apology. I owe you. I did something wrong, therefore I owe you. Um, And and we do that because our heart tells us that we took something and that we are now debtors in some fashion. The only way to make things right is to pay up. Just like the story I just told about the man who abandoned his family, this dad, this dad who feels guilty, many times will try to make up to those he has hurt. He tries to make up for being absent. He may try to buy his kids love or pay them back what he feels he owes them. And this dynamic is not just about broken homes. How many couples have have created this type of relationship because they went after financial gain? And while going after financial gain, they created an I owe you situation at home. Because we're going after this, we were absent here, now the guilt sets in and we feel, I now owe you. And every kid that grows up in this situation knows that there's no way to make up for what was taken by trying to replace it with something else. The only way to make up for dad not being there. Uh, To tuck Junior in, the only way for him to make up for that is to get home and tuck Junior in. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Like the guilt means I owe you. Now there's a verse that we usually talk about in financial terms. But I want you to apply it in, in these terms today. In Proverbs 22 and 7, it says the borrower is slave to the lender. In other words, authority belongs to those who are owed, not those who owe. And so if I wronged you, let's just say PC wrongs you, I do something to sin against you, you are now in authority because I owe you. The person who owes is not in authority, but the person who is owed is now in authority. It creates a debt-to-debtor relationship. So the man, let's talk about the dad again, the story I just told. The dad says, I owe you. Why? Because he feels guilty. But the child, their feeling is not anger. Their feeling is not jealousy. or or Their feeling is, is not guilt or jealousy. But the child feels anger. Their emotion is anger. Unfortunately, there is no way for this debt to be reconciled. And people try their best sometimes to make up for what they've done wrong. I have watched people try to serve it off, pray it off, give it off. But no, no number of good deeds, no number of community uh, service, charitable giving, Sunday sitting in church service can relieve the guilt. Why? Because it's a debt. And it must be paid or canceled for the guilty heart to experience relief. Now, I'm building this to get to some heavy points today. It's going to be a heavy message, but I want you to grab hold of this. Um, guilt has to be confronted. There have been seasons in my life when I battled guilt, and that guilt has to be confronted head-on. How many of you have ever battled guilt, and you tried to battle it yourself secretly, and you you were going through all this warfare individually, but the people around you had no clue what you were going through? Anybody ever been there? All right, guilt has to be confronted head-on. And the reason for that is that secrets lose their power when they are exposed to light. And I say this because the guilty person many times has secrets. The guilty person has something to hide. The guilty person seems distant. The guilty person creates suspicion in their life. The guilty person usually don't trust anyone because they themselves are not trustworthy. But secrets lose their power when they are exposed to the light. What is the light that exposes our secret? The light that exposes our secret and frees us from guilt is something we call confession. Everybody say confession. All right? It means we got to talk about what we feel guilty over. It means we need to confess it. We need to bring it into the light. And I'm not talking about the kind of confession that most of us are accustomed to. Like, mom, I broke the vase. Or, yes, honey, I drank out of the milk carton again. Or, Yes, officer, the light was red. Come on, y'all. We we confess, and so we kind of get the idea of confession, but this kind of confession eases our conscience temporarily, but does nothing to expose the deeper secrets that we carry. And it's the secrets that keep our hearts in turmoil. This kind of confession can actually fuel destructive behavior rather than curb it, leading to more secrets and greater guilt. And I want to explain what I'm talking about. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I knew this verse very well growing up. This was one of my... You know, this, this was a life verse for a young person growing up in the church um, that I knew I could bring my sin to God and confess it, and I could find forgiveness. God forgives me as long as I admit it, and I'm able to then move on. And at night, let me just tell on myself a little bit, I would list all the things I had done wrong And I I would go on to sleep after I had confessed everything and asked God to forgive me. But I would add this one little line at the end of my prayer. I would also add this line where I would say, God, please forgive me for anything that I might have overlooked. And you say, well, Pastor, you're pretty serious about getting it all out there, right? I was because I grew up in a church where I thought I'm going to hell no matter what. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to split hell wide open. But this verse, man, it was like the loophole. I sin. I confess. I'm good. Now, I'm going somewhere that you probably don't think I'm going. But I would pray, and I thought, okay, I'm good. God's good with me. I'm good with me. I can sleep like a baby. But in the back of my mind... As I prayed those kind of prayers and then would go off to sleep, in the back of my mind, I knew I would probably fill up my sin bucket again the next day with the same sins I had just asked God to forgive me for that night. I thought there was a loophole. I confess. I move on. God moves on. We're all good. I empty my sin bucket out, and then I fill my sin bucket back up the next day, and I pray the same. And, guys, I wasn't that creative. I did the same sin. It was the same stuff. You say, what was it? None of your business. (laughs) Let's talk about your stuff. It was the same stuff. Now, today's generation, they're much more creative than I was. They're coming up with new ways to sin. Come on, y'all, help me. Y'all know what I'm telling the truth. They're coming up with creative new ways to sin. But I would empty my sin bucket and I would ask God to forgive me knowing in the back of my mind that I was going to do the same exact sins the next day, but I would be okay as long as I confessed. And some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Chad, what's the problem? It seems like, you know, at least you confessed them to the Lord. You should be good. I noticed a dangerous trend in my own life because When I was doing that, when I was tempted to sin, I would reason to myself, I know this is wrong, but if I go through with it, I can just confess, and God will forgive me, and life will go on, and everything will be fine. And we see this mentality now in this generation, and you hear it in phrases like, uh, it's a whole lot easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission, right? Right? What are we saying? I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway so I can ask forgiveness later. And let me just say real quick, there is a difference between a bad heart and a bad day. Some people have a bad day. Some people have a bad heart. Judas had a bad heart. Peter had a bad day. And there's a difference. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, I think it's okay to have a bad day. I don't think it's okay to live with a bad heart. And so for me, and I I think this is going to translate for some people, especially probably the younger people, and I I shouldn't even say that because some old people, they do the same sins every day and then they empty it out and they do the same. So maybe I shouldn't even put categories on it. Before long, I, I realized my confession habit And we know confession is a good thing, but my confession habit was supporting my sin habit. Confession habit supporting a sin habit. I had found a loophole in God's system. And here's the thing we got to understand about confession confession must be connected to change, not just. Guilt relief. Some people want to go to an altar, and and I've seen it. I mean, I've seen them cry. I've seen them fall on the floor. I've seen the snot run down their face. And I've watched them go right back out the door and do the same stuff again. What, what was all that about? It looked like the Lord was moving. No, the Lord was moving, but they were more concerned about getting the guilt off than they were actually changing and following Jesus. I know this is not going to make people shout, But we want to feel better about ourselves. But instead of feeling better about ourselves, we need to figure out how to get our life in alignment with God's kingdom and what Jesus has called us to do. And if that means I've got to turn from this in order to follow him, I need to be willing to turn from it. Here's something to think about. I want you to think about some of us. If you've ever, I have treated God this way before. My teenage years, I was terrible about this. Forgive me. Knowing I'm going to get up tomorrow again. Forgive me. I'm going to get up tomorrow and do it again. Think about any relationship you had in your life where someone was treating you that way. Think about it. Just for a minute. If you had a brother or sister in Christ that treated you that way, imagine that that you had a brother or sister in Christ that consistently stole from you. Or spoke evil things about you or slandered your name or gossiped about you and they did it every single day only to come at the end of every single day and in very general terms say, you know, I'm sorry. Only to get up and do it again. After a while, you're probably going to start thinking, they must think I'm an idiot to stay in this relationship. Why? Because it's an abusive, toxic relationship but sometimes we treat our Heavenly Father the same way. And I could go to the book of Hebrews and talk about when we willfully do these things, how we are trampling the blood of Jesus and treating it with no honor and no respect at all. Merry Christmas. If we had a relationship like that, we would feel used. More than likely, we would feel insulted. And our approach to confession sometimes is an insult to our Heavenly Father because secrets not only lose their power when exposed to the light, but confession is not a license to be irresponsible. It's not a license for me to live any way I want to live. God, I'm sorry I was so mean to that person and said all those terrible things about them. That doesn't cut it if it's not connected to change. We play the confession game because somewhere along the way, we were taught that the purpose of confession was conscience relief. We think that if we confess it, we will feel better about what we've done, and God will feel better about what we've done. And according to our twisted way of thinking, confession puts everything back just the way it was before we did whatever it was and, and, and that we did. And we think that everybody's better all because we confessed. And I think what we have in the American church is we have the English definition of confession down to a science. We got it. The English definition of confession is to admit or to acknowledge something. I don't think we have any problems with admitting a lot of times or acknowledging a lot of times. But biblical The biblical definition of confession versus the English definition of confession are two different ballgames. The English version is just, I admit it. But the biblical definition of confession is connected to change. Confession is just one step in a sequence of steps that lead the guilty out of the darkness into the light. It's simply the beginning of a process that ultimately leads to a change in lifestyle. The early Catholic literature on penance, and you may knock them, don't knock them about this because their early literature on penance and confession support the biblical definition. In the early days of Catholicism, you were not allowed to confess the same sins over and over. Only one time. And the reason you can only confess at one time is because they expected change. And penance... It's kind of a root word for repentance. And our relationship with Jesus is not just based on a prayer or a confession. Repentance means that my life, it gives the, the, the idea my life is headed this way, but when I repent, I'm admitting and acknowledging this life does not please God So I'm going to stop living this way, and I'm going to do a 180, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to begin following Jesus. We need less confession in the church, and we need some more repentance in the church. We we need less, I did wrong, I said wrong, I acknowledged wrong, that's great. But if it's not leading you to change, to turn, what's the point of the confession? What's the point? If we're just going to do it again, repentance is often pictured as a person walking away from one thing, realizing the error of their way, and then changing direction to walk in the opposite direction. Biblically, confession is clearly connected to restitution, repentance, and restoration. In the Old Testament, confession was always public, and was associated with restitution. Look at Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way, and so is unfaithful to the Lord, is guilty, and must confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the person they have wronged. And, and so biblically, for the Jew... This wasn't about feeling better about yourself. I know we live in a culture where everybody's saying you just need to p- feel better about yourself and you need to love yourself and you need to take care of yourself. But the gospel doesn't teach just love yourself all the time and take care of all yourself all the time and it's better, you feel better all the time. The gospel actually, actually teaches to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus, which means there's a lot of times I'm not going to feel better doing it, but I'm going to be better doing it. Does that make sense? Now watch this. For the Jew, this wasn't just about feeling better, but it was about making it right. Making it right. It wasn't enough to be sorry. God was not interested in them just being sorry. God was interested in change. And the people that that did wrong in the Old Testament, watch this, they had to go public with what they did wrong. Now, let's just have a little confession time at church. Let's pass this mic around and let everybody confess to what they did wrong. Now, how many know our church would go from a big church to a small group if that's the way we did it? Me and PK and a few others would be hanging out. The rest of you would be like, I ain't going back. I can't air out all my dirty laundry there every week. But that's what they did. It was a public confession and a public restitution. When John the Baptist came on the, on the scene in the New Testament, he called people to repentance As well as confession of their sins. In Mark 1, it says John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. This wasn't private confession. This was public confession and made in connection with public repentance. John's audience was going public with their intentions to live a different kind of life. They were not just confessing to silence their conscience or to not feel guilty anymore. They were saying, I'm ready to leave my sin behind. This is why we should have the biggest party in the world every time we bring out the baptismal pool and people start going public with their faith because they're confessing the lifestyle I was living dishonored God and I'm confessing it before everyone publicly and I'm coming into the light. That's why we ought to go crazy when people go, into the baptismal pool and make that public declaration that they are repenting of their sins and choosing to follow Jesus. How many think we ought to go public with that? That's important. It was a public thing. Zacchaeus in the New Testament, most of us know the story of Zacchaeus. When you look at what happened, he was cheating people. He was robbing people. He he was terrible to people. And I mean, totally terrible to people. And he knew it wasn't enough just to confess. He knew that he needed to do more than just help his guilty conscience out. And so in Luke 19 and 8, it says, Look, Lord, this is Zacchaeus talking. He said, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus answered that day and said, I know for sure salvation has come to this house. Why did Jesus say, I know now salvation has come to your house? Because your public confession, Zacchaeus, and admission are evidence of a changed heart. Over and over the Bible talks about confession, but it doesn't talk about it in terms of conscience relief but in terms of life change. True confession will involve reconciliation. James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. James calls for confession to one another as part of our restoration. That it's very important that we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to one another for healing. It's a very uh, biblical concept to confess. But James seems to indicate here that illness is sometimes not being healed because of unrepentant sin. He says that if you're in prayer and you're receiving prayer, if you've committed sins, confess it. And he connects the whole thing to healing. Now, I don't want to go down a theological road about sin and sickness. I do know that sickness entered into our world because of sin. That Jesus came to deal with sin, sickness, poverty, and disease. All those things entered into our world because of sin. And I don't know where you land on it this morning, but I think it's safe enough for me to say that if I have unrepented sin in my heart, it could be hindering my healing. You say, well, what do I need to do? It's easy. Repent. Get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. Get it under the blood. There's so much I could teach right here about sickness and, and that's connected to unforgiveness and offense and guilt and the negative emotions that we've been talking about. How they leave an open door for demonic spirits to have their way with you. But when we operate in forgiveness, and we operate in celebrating others, and we operate in allowing Jesus to change us from the inside out, what we do is we take the authority from the enemy. He has no authority. Listen, the devil don't own anybody. He don't own anyone. And we got to operate in our biblical authority. But hidden sin sometimes can be the cause of visible illness. So the smartest thing to do is to confess, to get it out there. And not just confess, confess that is connected to change. Jesus shocked his listeners with a little bit of instruction one afternoon in in the scriptures. In in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Therefore... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. This is tough because this was really inconvenient, what Jesus was asking them to do. Because at this point they were still under old covenant rituals which meant that they had lambs and they had pigeons. So Jesus, you're telling me to tie off my lamb, leave church, go make things right, find restitution, and then come back and then offer my gift to you. Or to hand off my pigeon. For us, it would be Hey, neighbor, will you hold my tithe check? Because I sinned against someone. Or they sinned against me, and I need to go have a conversation. So you want me to leave church, go make things right, and then come back and give my gift to God? Now, completely, I'll be the first to say, that's inconvenient. That is not comfortable. But Jesus has this way of reversing things. How many know that the way up in the kingdom is down? If you want to be great in the kingdom, he says, become servant of all. Like it's completely different than the way we think. And, and a lot of people would read this and think, well, isn't my relationship with God the most important? Shouldn't that be the priority? You know, just making sure that me and God are right. But what we fail to understand is that our ability to worship God sincerely is contingent On our relationship with others, including those we have offended and those that have offended us. You cannot resolve your differences with God if you are unwilling to resolve your differences with those around you. Some of us just need to be reminded that we cannot be in fellowship with the Father and out of fellowship with others. Is this all right? The two go hand in hand. Confessing to God or a pastor is no substitute for confessing openly to someone you have wronged. If you sin against somebody and you want to get it off your chest, you could come and say, hey, PC, I need to talk to you. I did this. It was terrible. I really messed up, and I did this against them. That's great, but you know what would be so much greater than you telling me? Go tell them. Go tell them. Admit the error. Or if they sinned against you, go talk to them and say, hey, you did this. Can we talk about it? Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody in the church did Matthew 18? If everybody did Matthew. Now, let me go ahead and say, because some of you think you're going to be quick to think that if I do the right thing, everybody's going to... Listen, there have been a, a, numerous times I've done the right thing and the other party would not. But as long as I have done the right thing, I can go to bed at night and be in relationship with God and let God deal with them. Give Him a praise if you know I'm preaching the truth right there. You can't control the outcome. Just because you do the right thing, please don't get your, your feelings hurt and have to redo all this because they chose not to. Some people are going to choose not to. They're going to choose to be mad. They're going to choose to be bitter. They're going to choose to be unforgiving. They're going to choose to be offended. They're going to choose that. And if you put your stock in what they choose, even after you've confessed and tried to make it right, you'll end back up being mad again, angry again, jealous again. No, no, no. Once you've dealt with it, you've dealt with it. It's on them now. Come on, give him one more praise for that. It's, it's good stuff. It's practical, but we need to do it. As the worship team comes back, Matthew six fifteen. if you will not forgive others for their sins they commit against you, then God will not forgive you for the sins you committed. So important. Part of walking with God is making that call you've dreaded making. Part of walking with God is setting up an appointment and having an incredibly awkward conversation. I want the supernatural. I want power. I I, want to see the power of God. I want to see deliverance. I want to see healing. I want to see miracles. But we, listen to me, church, God wants, he's going to entrust that to a mature people. Mature enough to pick up the phone. Mature enough to write the letter. Some of you, you've had conversations with people you've tried to make it right and because they 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 are not good you're allowing that to make you not good listen whatever you got to do get that stuff out of you do not take a negative emotion from 2022 into 2023 listen if you got to go into the woods this christmas season and scream and yell so that you can leave the past in the past go scream and yell get it out of your system because what you can't pour out in the presence of God you're going to end up pouring out on people and it's going to be ugly go deal with it spend enough time in the presence of God that when you hear a name it doesn't bring up a negative emotion out of you if somebody can mention a name and you have a negative feeling you haven't dealt with it How do you know that? Well, the Bible says to pray for those who who spitefully use you. The people that are the meanest to me, God says, pray for them. He said, it'll heap coals of fire on their head. And I'm not even saying I care about the coals of fire. I just want to be at peace in my own heart. Whether the Lord lights them up or not, irrelevant to me. But I want to be able to go into a new year focused on everything God has for me. Not focused on anything in my past, things that hurt. Listen, I said a couple weeks ago, maybe even last week, if you think you've been hurt since COVID began and all the things, and I know the world's upside down, there ain't no one being hurt more than pastors and leaders in the last two and a half years. No one worse. The amount of betrayal, slander, gossip, expectation. There's some people, I I just wish I could let them be in my seat for one day. Feel the weight one day. I promise most of them would give it right back. You got to be quick to forgive. Does that mean we're perfect? No. We're all human. But we got to own our humanity. But we got to also expect God to do what we can't do. And I'm saying you can do it. You can do it. You can get rid of the guilt. You can get rid of the shame. You can get rid of the hurt. The presence of God will meet you this Christmas season and he will do a supernatural work in your life so that you don't take the negativity from 2022 into 2023. When you swallow your pride and you take the extra step, something remarkable happens. That if guilt is the thing that's been holding you down, God will break the cycle of sin and guilt. Open confession has the power to break the cycle of sin off of your life. But you've got to take the step. That's the purpose of confession. It's like a medicine when it's applied properly. If you confess your sins to people you've sinned against, odds are that you're not going to go back and make that same mistake if I sin against you in a certain way and then I come to you and have to own what I did to you. There's two ways we learn, church. And this is not in my notes. This just came out at nine o'clock. There's two ways we really learn. One is the way I want you to learn is wisdom. Biblical principles, wisdom, mentors, just wisdom. You learn. I'm not going to do that because I I know. I I got a teacher. I got a mentor. I've got the scripture. I'm going to learn. Wisdom. But most of us, unfortunately, we don't let wisdom be our teacher. It takes pain to teach us. And I hate that because it means we've got to go through very hard experiences to be taught a lesson. And some of us, it's not until we've acted a certain way and said a bunch of stuff and created all this pain in our life, it's then that we learn, hey, I don't want to do that again. But did you know the Holy Spirit wants to save you the pain and teach you by wisdom and teach me by wisdom? Unfortunately, I'm as stubborn as many of you. And so a lot of times I've got to go through painful seasons to learn. But I do think that what God is doing in this church is he's trying to raise up a mature church, a a mature group of believers that can live by wisdom and not repeat the same mistakes moving forward. Let me say this in closing. Just telling God you're sorry doesn't resolve your guilt because God wasn't the offended party. Forgiveness from God doesn't erase our need to take responsibility for what we've done. Listen, I've had people come to me and say Pastor, I'm sorry. I gossiped about you a lot. I didn't know they had. I had no knowledge. I slandered you. And I was wrong. I'm sorry. Now, they could have just taken that to God. But how many believe God will honor stuff like that? I mean, I had no knowledge. I had somebody come to me. I said all kinds of stuff about you. And I just want you to know I'm sorry. I'm like, I didn't know anything about it. I don't know what you said, but I forgive you. How I many of we gotta be more like that? And if we're the one that did it, be open. Confess it. You say, why are you teaching and preaching like this? Because I want the body of Christ to be mature and free. And it's, it takes some. This is like surgery teaching. This is what it's like taking a scalpel and going. Inside, you know, and and digging some stuff out, putting some stuff back together. At the end of the day, Christ paid a debt he didn't know, one we couldn't pay. And that kind of love should motivate us to pay the debts that we can pay to those that we owe. And for many of us, that's just an apology, it's just a conversation. Most of the pain we choose to live in come from the fact that we are afraid of having a hard conversation. We live with years of distress when we could end the pain with a couple of conversations. I want you to stand with me all over the room this morning. I know it's a heavy word, but I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do what I can't do. And that is to minister to your heart, to your mind, to your soul. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for the next few moments except for our prayer team, our compass directors and leaders. Some of you, you came into this church service today and as I was preaching, you you do feel guilt because you're not in right relationship with God. And my word to you this morning is it's, it's time to come home. It's time to make things right with God. Not just confessing Him as Lord, but it's a turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. So I want to ask you, without bringing any embarrassment to you, not trying to embarrass anyone, but I know this is a heavy moment and some of you, you feel that pulling at your heart that you need to make some things right with God. So I want to ask you, if that's you, if I'm talking to you, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I want to be. Come on, raise that. hand. I see this hand over here. God bless you. I see this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you'll just raise that hand. And say, Pastor, it's, you're talking to me. Anyone else? Before we pray. Those of you that are watching online, you can be a part of this, but I want us to pray together out loud. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins. I repent and turn away from those sins, and I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me in Jesus' name, amen. Can you celebrate that one? Come on, let's give God a praise this morning. Was it, uh, there was two. My bad, there was two people. Give God a praise for two people coming into relationship with him. It's beautiful. I'm gonna ask them to go ahead and come, Doc, and get this table, if you don't mind. Thank you, sir. I'm gonna ask the prayer team and staff to go ahead and get in place and This altar's open for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons. It could be family problems you're having. It could be an addiction you're struggling with. It could be a a healing in your physical body you need. Listen, we're going to be a powerful church. Since 2023, we're going to see signs, wonders, healings, miracles, deliverances, radical salvations. We're going to see... The kingdom of God being manifested. And listen, it starts now. So if you need prayer for anything at all, let our prayer team pray for you. Let them put their faith with your faith. And before the worship team begins singing, can you give Jesus one more praise today? God bless you.